service. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, I'm Jake Brennan, and I want to tell you about Disgraceland, the award-winning music and true crime podcast that I host. Disgraceland tells the stories of musicians getting away with murder and behaving very badly. Fleetwood Mac, Nipsey Hussle, Cardi B, Ozzy Osbourne, Taylor Swift, Tupac, The Beatles, Amy Winehouse, Jay-Z, The Grateful Dead, and so many more. This is not the music history you've heard before. This is an uncensored, immersive look at the lives of musical icons as seen through the crimes they've committed or that have been perpetrated against them. Did Jerry Lee Lewis murder his fifth wife? What really happened to Sam Cooke in that seedy motel at 3 a.m.? And how did the Rolling Stones wind up sleeping with the First Lady? Wait, what? New episodes of Disgraceland drop every Tuesday with bonus episodes released on Mondays and Thursdays. So get in, buckle up, and join me in Disgraceland. Available right now, wherever you get your podcasts. Rock and roll. Hey guys, excited to be in your feeds today exploring this David Lynch-connected story. Just a quick heads up that over in the Disgraceland feed, we've got a new full episode on Old Dirty Bastard that you're going to want to check out after you get through with the rap party right here. All right, let's talk some movies. Badlands listeners, are you here? Are you with me? Are you too tired to go to bed? Too riled up to stay home? I know I am. This is another podcast that comes after the podcast. Welcome to Badlands, the rap party. Welcome to the Badlands bonus episode, another thing we like to call the rap party. And just like that other show, this is a show that comes after the show. A voyage from one episode of Badlands to the other, the backlot breakdown of sorts. On this bonus episode, we are talking about David Lynch, Henry Fool, Jeff Bridges as Junior Johnson, plus my recommendations in your movie-focused voicemails, texts, DMs, and more. Badlands listeners, let's get into it. Greetings, brothers and sisters, and welcome to the rap party. Let's dive right into David Lynch. Yes, the one and only David Lynch, one of the weirdest and most idiosyncratic filmmakers of the last 40 plus years. Just fucking love this guy, man. How can you not? You may be asking yourself, Jake, what crime has David Lynch been involved with that makes him a good subject for Badlands? And I would say to you, that's a damn fine question. Okay, so here's the thing. Despite making some of the most psychologically haunting movies and TV shows of all time, David Lynch is just a normal dude. However, the inspiration for his groundbreaking TV series, and I do mean groundbreaking, not literally, of course, but figuratively, Twin Peaks, which originally ran in the early 90s, was the brutal murder of a girl in the early 90s. Again, the inspiration was the brutal murder of a girl in a small town over 80 years earlier, back in 1908. 
A murder that went unsolved for about 100 years. A murder that exposed the corrupt underbelly of a seemingly idyllic town. I'm talking prostitution. I'm talking orgies. I'm talking political corruption. Nothing's changed, people. Nothing. It's still the same shit show it was over 100 years ago. All right? And not just one covered-up murder, but multiple covered-up murders. Sound familiar? Sound like a David Lynch thing? Sound like the true story about the murder of Hazel Drew at Teal's Pond in upstate New York was the direct inspiration for the fictional story of the murder of Laura Palmer in Twin Peaks. And if you heard our recent episode on Bruce Springsteen over in Disgraceland, this is a similar line of thinking. The ways in which true crime inspires and intersects with great art, with great music, and great filmmaking. That's why we are all here, okay? And I'm not talking about literal retellings of true crimes. Twin Peaks does not literally retell the story of Hazel Drew, just like Springsteen's Nebraska does not literally retell the story of Charles Starkweather. Okay, it's an inspiration, which got me thinking, what other true crimes have inspired great, or even not so great, just interesting movies and television shows? I'm interested less in a movie or a show that tells the story straight and more in the ones that use true crime as a jumping off point to do something original. Fargo comes to mind. Uh, is Twin Peaks the only example of this that you can think of? I know it's not. There's got to be others. You guys watch so much film. You guys watch so much television. What other true crimes have inspired the movie and TV that you dig? Dig deep. Let me know what you find. 617-906-6638. We'll talk about it all here. Maybe even something we should cover in a future Badlands episode. Maybe this is a way into a future Badlands subject that we otherwise wouldn't have that we could then cover here in an episode. What true crimes, again, what true crimes have inspired the movies and television shows in a creative way that you love? 617-906-6638. Call me and leave your answer via voicemail or send a text. Okay, speaking of, let's get into some voicemail straight away. Ian from the 705 on his top five Halloween movies. Hey, Jake. Something my wife and I do is refuse to watch any horror or Halloween movies throughout the year until October and then nothing but. So when you came up with the top five Halloween list movies, that's really tough, man. I gave it my best go. I tried to stay away from the classics because uh, most people uh, are all about the classics. I've got In the Mouth of Madness, Rain de Basson, Shaun of the Dead, I'd be like that one in the same vein, Doghouse, and my absolute favorite is Tucker and Dale versus Evil. This is a horror movie that looks at horror movies from a completely different angle. Like, it's fantastic. Thanks a lot. Rock and roll. Absolutely love this method, Ian, and I'm going to use it to try to convince my wife to watch some more horror movies with me. Great list as well. Shaun of the Dead, incredible. Tucker and Dale versus Evil, I have not seen now at the top of my list. Thank you for the recommendation. Thank you so much. Happy October horror movie watching to you and your wife. Amy, from the 206, more horror movie recommendations. Hi, Jake. My name is Amy from the 206. I'm calling in with my horror movie recommendations. Uh, it's a 1979 film called Phantasm. It's turned into um, a cult classic now. It's considered a cult classic. But um, the whole franchise is great. It's directed by Don Coscarelli. And I don't know if you've heard of him. He also directed the films uh, Baba Hotep 
and John Dies at the End. Those are also great films as well. But it's the first horror film that I watched with my dad, so it has a special place in my heart. Uh, he's a huge horror movie buff. But yeah, Phantasm, give it a shot. Uh, thank you for all you do. Love the pod. Keep it up. Bye. Hi, Amy from the 206. I saw, I think I saw it anyways. I saw, it was on, put it that way, Phantasm, uh, years ago. But I was at a party, small party, a gathering was more like it. Uh, so I didn't really watch the movie, but it's sort of been on my radar since then. But now, based on your recommendation and your lovely message about watching it for the first time with your dad, which is very cool, uh, you have motivated me to go check this out, and uh, I hope to do it soon. I need to find it, though. I don't know where to find it. Uh, maybe it'll be easy to find Apple, Amazon, something like that. But something tells me it's not going to be that easy. The search will happen soon, though, Amy. All right, let's check in with Mark from the 617, who I asked uh, to call us back and explain his parallel between No Country for Old Men and Raising Arizona. He called in last week. We had him on the rap party, and he dropped that little tidbit. And I was like, huh? What the hell is he talking about? So here's Mark explaining himself. Jake, this is Mark from the 617 calling you back. Uh, you mentioned in a recent bonus episode asking me to explain the parallels between No Country for Old Men and Raising Arizona. Here goes. Uh, both films feature a sympathetic yet flawed protagonist who kicks off the plot by committing a theft, a crime that seems justifiable given the circumstances. In both films, the theft, either a bag of drug money or a cute baby, brings forth a terrifying figure of extrajudicial vengeance, relentless, mysterious, and merciless, track down our hapless hero. In both films, crime brings consequence. Uh, P.S. Raising Arizona is my favorite Nicolas Cage role, although I haven't seen a lot of his movies, especially the ones he's made recently. I think he would have been an interesting Superman. That is my hot take. Thank you for listening. All right, Mark, thanks for the callback. I love the parallels. I kind of like, uh, it's kind of just like the Coens ran the playbook back for No Country for Old Men over a different playing field. Um, Nick Cage, as Superman, though, you buried the lead, dude. I love this. I uh, love this, If especially if it's like a flawed, fucked up alcoholic at the end of his rope in Las Vegas, Superman. Is that what you're talking about? I kid. Um, I kid because I love Mark, but I do not kid about Elizabeth Shue uh, as Superwoman. She is she is Superwoman. That's a fact. Ask anyone who came of age in the 90s, they'll tell you the same thing. Justin from the 540 on Blazing Saddles. Justin, I'm going to give you a lot of rope here, man, to land this plane. Uh, here you go. Okay, so here we go. This is Justin from the 540 here in Cypool Hillbilly. Now, I made this statement about Blazing Saddles should have won an Oscar, and I said, and an Academy Award. That should have been an or. Well, not even an or. It's just it's the same damn thing. You're right. But anyway, <clears throat> also, there's another problem with that. Uh, Blazing Saddles came out in 1974. Well, that would have made it not eligible until 1975 for an Oscar. So we'll go back and talk about 1974 real quick. 1974, the Best Picture Oscar went to The Sting, which was Robert Redford, Paul Newman. It was their, you know, gangster flick, whatever. It is a really good movie. I love that movie. It's a great movie. The uh, couple of, of Disgraceland ties here. The Best Musical Score or Theme Song, uh, Best Oscar went to uh, The Sting for the song The Entertainer which is, uh, I believe, done by Marvin Hamlish. But anyway, so we've got another angle here. We had just talked about um, Jane Fonda, 
Okay, so uh, Robert Bradford, Jane Fonda, and Willie Nelson were all in the Electric Horseman, so, or Electric Cowboy. I can't remember what it was called, but anyway, that's so that's the that's the whole shtick there. Like the Saddle is a great movie. It should have won an Oscar. It didn't. Oh well. Sting, it's a great movie. It did win an Oscar, and the song The Entertainer is a great song, and it did win an Oscar, I believe. And then, like I said, we have uh, Robert Redford, Jane Fonda, and Willie Nelson all in a movie. So, I saved myself, I turned it all around, and have a great day. Deuces. All right, Justin, this a lot here, a lot to unpack. I love, I played this whole whole voicemail because A, I love the Oscar knowledge and the history of it, and I, I just like hearing it. And B, I just love that you tied Badlands together with Disgraceland and uh, some different subjects into it as well. And uh, Justin, so you know, the Willie Nelson Jane Fonda movie was called Electric Horseman with Robert Redford. You did it, man. Thank you. All right, 617-906-6638. Call in with your voicemails. Send me your texts. What true crimes have inspired the movies and TV shows that you're watching or have watched that you know and that you love? Let me know. Now, let's do some texts. All right, last week we were talking about the trailerization of music or movies, movie trailer. I don't know. I don't even remember. It was basically like, hey, when uh, a trailer... <laughs> comes out and they take a rock song and they basically uh, just uh, redo it over piano and sad chords. Uh, uh, which versions of this did you like or hate? Uh, we'll get this message from the 303 and this is kind of Halloween content as well, which is why I'm tying it all together here. Trailerization just says 303 says trailerization, Rob Zombie's Halloween 2 from 2009 with Nazareth's Love Hurts. That's a good one, and I like the Halloween-themed content there as well. 713 writes in, Hi, Jake. Lindsay here from the 713 Houston. My absolute favorite horror movie is Silence of the Lambs. Some might argue that it's a psychological crime thriller, but cannibalism and skin suits are pretty damn horrific. And I would argue back in your favor that uh, you're absolutely correct, Lindsay. Scary as fuck movie. It's one of those movies that was so scary when it came out. It became such a phenomenon, and it's on all the time. It's always on, it seems. It's like a rewatchable movie uh, you can catch on cable whenever. And um, it's almost taken the bite out of it for me. It's not as scary because I know it so well. It's become almost like a hangout movie as opposed to a horror movie. But I'm with you. When it came out, it was scary as fuck. Okay. All right. The 203. Melissa. She writes in, hey, Jake, this is Melissa from the 203. You said that the strangers terrified you. It terrified me too. I wasn't sure if you knew the backstory. I read that it is based in part on a real event that happened to writer and director Brian Bertino when he was a kid. Him and his sister were home alone and a woman came to their door asking for someone who didn't live there. He told her no, but she came back and asked again. And the woman was part of a robbery crew working the neighborhood and seemed to be checking if people were home. Super scary. Love the show. Rockarola. See, there you go. 
right there. I ask a question, I get a fucking answer. Okay, I just asked you. I knew this was going to come back. I knew, knew it was going to come back so quick. Okay, okay. I mean, and I'm kind of, I'm kind of, uh, you know, taking the piss right now. But you know, what real life true crime events inspire great movies? I asked that question relative to David Lynch and Twin Peaks uh, last week. I talked about the strangers. I had no idea that it was based on a true event that happened to the director. So thank you so much for that message. Appreciate it. The 915 writes in, hey, Jake, Jim from the 915. By the way, Lee Marvin did win an Oscar for Best Supporting Actor in Cat Blue. Peace out, dude. Have fun. Uh, that's in reference to a Lee Marvin conversation from last week. Did not realize Lee Marvin ever won an Oscar. Awesome. Awesome to hear. From the 214, Santiago here from Fort Worth, the trailerization, as you called it, one that I remember very well, was when The Great Gatsby was coming out and they used a version of Happy Together by the Turtles. And I just remember it being such an interesting and great version of it. Go give it a listen. Keep killing it, man. Thank you, San Diego. I don't remember this, but this feels like it was very early on in the trailerization game, so it was probably one of the better ones. 707 writes in, dude, get on board with the boys. It's so good. Lots of O's in that. So and then in parentheses, it says, do not watch this with one of your boys. <laughs> All right. Thanks for the tip. Uh, Jake, Amanda from the 512 here. Love the shows on Badlands. You asked that the Conjuring universe is worth the watch. And yes, absolutely it is. I just finished it last week so I could go see The Nun 2 in theaters. The first and second Conjuring movies are definitely my favorite of them all, but the whole universe is worth watching in order of release. My next watch will be Devil's Road, the true story of Ed and Lorraine Warren on Max. Keep up the badass work. You got it, Amanda. I'm tempted. I'm tempted. I'll tell you right now. I'm tempted to rewatch The Conjuring and then to watch uh, the second movie that came out right after that because I haven't seen that one yet. I want to watch The Conjuring again, but here's the deal. The last time I watched The Conjuring, this was about, uh, I don't know, four months ago, five months ago. It just happened to be on. I'm like, I'm going to watch this. My wife was asleep next to me in bed. And there's a scene in that episode where they mention one of the exorcism events happening in Wakefield, Massachusetts, which from where I was sitting in my bed was about three miles east of me. <laughs> so I got really fucking freaked out, like super freaked out. And uh, I forced myself to watch it, but I went downstairs and I turned all the lights on and I watched it on a different television. And now I'm tempted. I want to kind of go watch this. I want to watch The Strangers after that last text, but we're in a new house right now. And uh, we're the first house on this new street. And um, I'm not going to lie. It's pretty fucking Mad Max here at night. It's pretty, uh, we're out there. We're out there, as they say. So I, I don't think I'm watching The Strangers anytime soon. But I'm going to get into some of these horror movies. Maybe I'll watch The Conjuring tonight, given that I'm far away from Wakefield at the moment. From the 860, writes in, Horror Reco, Session 9. Asbestos removal crew gets hired to clean out an abandoned mental hospital, and it goes about as well as expected. <laughs> Shot in an actual abandoned psych hospital in Danvers, Mass. Check it out. You know, I know about this, obviously, because, uh, you know, where I was relative to Wakefield is not that far from Danvers either. So I obviously know about this story. I think I think there's a good podcast on this as well. Um, but thanks for that message. Okay, let's see. What else we get here? All right, I want to close the book on this Coen Brothers thing real quick from last week. The 337 writes in, favorite Coen Brothers movie, hands down, Raising Arizona. Peak Nicolas Cage, 
peak Holly Hunter, and the score of just the guy yodeling throughout the entire movie is so hilarious. I thought it was funny as a kid, but as an adult, I love it even more. Yeah, as kids, we all bit into that pretty hard. The score was fucking amazing. That was right around the time we discovered weed, too, so it all kind of worked perfectly for us. Raising Arizona. I gotta say, I don't know if it's my favorite. I think it's my favorite. I really do. It might be Fargo. I don't fucking know. I keep big LeBuff. I can't. I just can't do it. I can't pick one. I can't. I cannot do it. But I think the consensus coming back from you guys is that Raising Arizona is indeed the greatest Coen Brothers movie. Um, yeah. All right. I'm going to leave it there. I'm going to take a quick break. Back in a flash. All right, I am back. Listen, I, I meant to do this at the top of the show in the little preamble bit that I do, just to kind of explain why things are sounding a little different this week. This is temporary. Uh, we are recording bonus episodes in a, uh, I'll try to explain where I'm at right now. I'm in the fucking bunker. I'm in a closet in our new house. We've been moving for the last few months. And uh, it's been an epic process that I won't bore you with, but we don't have the studio set up. I'm building a new studio. It's not set up yet. So I will have a better soundproof solution shortly, shortly, very shortly, if not the full studio. And you will not be able to tell any difference. Uh, but I didn't want to go a whole week without giving you guys this bonus content. So I'm in here. You know, I'm just, I'm, I'm doing it old school, man. I'm doing it old school, just like it was when it was just me back in the day in my basement, putting podcasts together with duct tape and Sean Cahalan. And uh, here we are again, five years later, remarkably doing the same damn thing, just in a different way, but it'll be, it'll be much more temporary. And we will be back to the high quality sounding episodes you've grown to know and expect. So just bear with me, okay? Just think of it as like, uh, I don't know, like you're here with me or something and there's a party going on. You can't really hear me. We're in a loud room. I don't fucking know. Make it up. All right. Let's get into the music connection of this week's episode. Perhaps you know this and perhaps you don't, but David Lynch is not only a director and a writer and an artist, but also a musician. Yes. David Lynch has released three solo albums, Blue Bob from 2011, Crazy Clown Time, great title, in 2011, and The Big Dream in, well, not in 2011, in 2013. Karen O from the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs makes a guest appearance on one of those records, and David Lynch himself has appeared on other albums uh, like Dark Night of the Soul by Danger Mouse and Sparkle Horse. Now, Karen O and David Lynch makes total fucking sense. I'm going to go listen to Heads Will Roll again and uh, with, with different ears now that I know this connection. David Lynch describes his own records as industrial blues or modern blues records. And if you haven't heard them, some of it isn't really all that bizarre. It's more like old school 50s era rock and roll that's slowed way down and run through a extreme lynching filter. Beyond these albums, he's also heavily involved in the score and sound design of his own movies and TV shows, most notably his long-running collaboration with the composer Angelo Badalamenti, I hope I'm saying that correctly, who uh, is featured in our episode this week. For his debut film, uh, Eraserhead, back in 1977, David Lynch created the movie score 
uh, and sound design. Very unorthodox stuff, like sticking a microphone in a bottle and then floating it in a bathtub and recording the sound of the air that blew into the bottle as it floated. He worked 12-hour days with sound engineer Alan Spleck, creating new sound effects on the cheap and on the fly, figuring it out fucking DIY indie style. In 1982, the soundtrack to Eraserhead was released on IRS Records. Uh, you may remember IRS Records as the label that launched REM back in the day. At the time, one of the coolest record labels around, so it made sense that David Lynch put out an album on IRS. Uh, Lynch also directed a handful of music videos over the years. I knew this, but I forgot about it. Uh, the Nine Inch Nails song, Came Back Haunted. Great song to add to your Halloween playlist, by the way. Also directed Wicked Game by Chris Isaac. Not the Wicked Game by Chris Isaac video with Helena Christensen rolling around on the beach in her underwear. That was directed by Herb Ritz. But there's an alternate video that featured scenes from David Lynch's movie Wild at Heart, a movie I need to re-watch. Have not seen that since high school, I believe. Uh, song was used in that movie. Actually, the reason that Wicked Game was in Wild at Heart was a big reason behind why the song became so famous. Uh, music director at the radio station in Atlanta who loved David Lynch movies put that single from Chris Isaac in heavy rotation because of the David Lynch movie and the rest, as they say, is, well, you know what they say. All right. Speaking of David Lynch films, let's take a quick look at his filmography real quick here. 1977, like I said, Eraserhead. 1980, The Elephant Man. 1984, Dune. 86, Blue Velvet. 90, Wild at Heart. 92, Twin Peaks, Fire Walk With Me. 97, Lost Highway. 99, The Straight Story. 2001, Mulholland Drive. 2006, Inland Empire, which I still haven't seen. And don't forget, over in the land of television, the great Twin Peaks. And for those of you who don't know, for those of you who weren't there, this, we're spoiled now. We're spoiled. Television is fucking good, okay? It's not that good right now, but it's been great over the last decade, two decades. But there was a time when television blew. You just did not take television seriously. At least I didn't when I was in high school. No one I knew did. And then this came out, and we were like, oh, my God, what the fuck? man what is this and of course we knew wild at heart we knew blue velvet and this was just something else and we couldn't believe it was on television hard to believe david lynch has not made a movie since 2006 though 17 years what's your favorite david lynch movie okay i want to know or better yet more specifically who's your favorite david lynch villain Willem Dafoe, Dennis Hopper. It's Dennis Hopper. I, I, I don't know why I'm asking. It's Frank from Blue Velvet. It has to be. Or maybe it's, it's Bob from Twin Peaks. I guess Bob from Twin Peaks. Or even Laura Palmer's dad. Those, those are some creepy dudes. 617-906-6638 on the voicemail and text. Let's talk David Lynch. Let's, talk, let's just open it up. Let's broaden it out. Creeps. Not villains. Creeps. Biggest fucking creeps in film history, specifically Twin Peaks. But just give me someone else that you can compare Frank Booth from, from Blue Velvet to, or you can compare Bob from Twin Peaks to. Remember the first time you saw Bob in Twin Peaks? How fucking free? I, I jumped out of my bed. I'm certain of it. 617-906-6638. All right, let me know. I'm going to take a quick break back in a flash with some recommendations.
This is the other recommendations part, the part of the other show where we recommend the movies and the television content, the recommendations part, the part where we discuss the movies and television that we are recommending. This is the recommendations part here in the Badlands Rap Party bonus episode, Henry Fool by Hal Hartley. Have you seen this movie? I watched it for the first time over the weekend, and it's on, I'm sure you can get it in multiple places, but I have a subscription to the Criterion uh, Network, and they have a whole Hal Hartley retrospective that's part of their collection right now uh, for a limited amount of time. And I'd seen Simple Men when it came out back in the day. I can't tell you anything about it, and I'd always heard of Henry Fool, but I had never seen it. And the cast is incredible. If I knew nothing about Hal Hartley or if it wasn't recommended by Criterion and I just saw the cast for this movie, uh, I would watch it. Parker Posey in particular. This movie, it's got a bunch of people in it you're going to recognize, but you might not know their names. Uh, this is uh, from the, the beginnings of their career. This takes place in the 1990s. It's filmed in the 1990s. It feels very much like a cool 90s indie movie. The aesthetic and the themes are very 90s as well. And it is just incredible. It really, truly is an incredible film. The ending is fantastic. The characters... You hear my dog barking in the background? <laughs> uh, big house, man. Lots of echo, lots of reverb. The characters are incredible. I don't want to talk too much about it because I could eat up this whole podcast. Just if you're a fan of 90s independent cinema, if you're a fan of Parker Posey, uh, if you're a fan of Hal Hartley, then you already know all this. But like I said, if you have any fandom for, for like I said, Parker or 90s film, check out Henry Fool by Hal Hartley. You're not going to be disappointed. All right. I also checked out uh, Last American Hero, which is uh, also part of the Criterion Collection. They're doing this badass. It's a whole, I, I can't remember what they're calling it, but it's it's basically all movies about 70s cars or 70s car movies, which is right in my fucking wheelhouse. They have Spielberg's first film ever, Duel, uh, but they also have uh, Last American Hero with Jeff Bridges, who's playing Junior Johnson. And this thing fired up you can watch this movie and Jeff Bridges is very young. It's 1973, I believe. Junior Johnson, for those of you who don't know, is a famous NASCAR racer. Got to start bootlegging. This is like a loose biopic uh, where Jeff Bridges is playing a character who's loosely based on Junior Johnson, who was kind of like a pre-Dale Earnhardt, uh, but not exactly. Anyhow, you can watch this movie and you can fully imagine Jeff Bridges as a young Jeff Lebowski. <laughs> <laughs> like sort of when he had a, a, his shit together, maybe, perhaps earlier in his life, uh, and had some aspirations to actually become something as a young man. That's how I watched the opening part of this film, which was set uh, with just this, pretty sure it's a 68 fastback Ford Mustang. It's a lot like the Bullet Mustang from Bullet with Steve McQueen. Uh, it's black, though, and it just, I, I have never heard a car sound so beautiful in my life as the car in this movie sounds. It sounds fucking incredible. Um, and one day I hope to have a car that sounds 
that incredible. Perhaps maybe even a 68 Fastback Mustang. We shall see. A guy can dream, right? Uh, if you like 70s movies, if you like badass car movies, if you like Jeff Bridges movies, young Jeff Bridges movies, check out Last American Hero. You're going to dig it. Uh, also, I'm in the middle of watching uh, Sneakers right now. This is with Robert Redford and Sidney Poitier and River Phoenix. It's a quote-unquote techno thriller from the 90s. And I got to say, for a movie that's not that good, I've certainly invested a lot of time into it. Uh, this movie's been recommended to me over and over and over again my whole life. I had my, my first booking agent back in the day used to never shut the fuck up about this movie. John Regan, hey, how you doing, man? Been a while. Anyways, but other people too. You guys have written me about this movie, Sneakers. People love it. I, I like it. I don't love it. Um, but it's one of those movies where uh, the the people in it are so damn charismatic. Like I could just watch Robert Redford just like reading the newspaper in the morning for two hours, and I I'd be content with that. He add River Phoenix and Sidney Poitier and Dan Aykroyd to the mix, and it's just like okay, I'm I'm in, I'm in for the whole ride. But again, I watch like uh, maybe ten minutes at a time because it's not that compelling. That's Sneakers from the 90s with Robert Redford. It's getting a mediocre recommendation from me, 617-906-6638, from you guys on the voicemail and the text. All right? I want to know what you're watching. I want more horror movies, okay? More horror movies. I'll get into it more with you next week with the voicemails and the text, but hit me up. Let me know. Also, at Pod on Instagram, on Facebook, on Twitter. I'm going to take a quick break. Back in a flash to recap this. All right, let's recap. Number one, the obvious brand new episode on David Lynch is available right now in your feed. Go check that out in the Badlands feed. Number two, next week in the Badlands feed, a brand new episode on Alex Rocco. Who's Alex Rocco, you're asking? That's Mo fucking Green from The Godfather. That's who it is, okay? Boston's own. You want to know this guy's origin story? It's uh, it's pretty damn incredible. Number three, over in the Disgraceland feed, we just dropped a new episode on Old Dirty Bastard as part of our serialized season on Wu-Tang Clan. Bringing that baby to an end soon. Got two more episodes. Uh, we're finishing the Wu-Tang saga next week, so get caught up over in the Disgraceland feed now, and then uh, we'll be doing some heavy, heavy Halloween content after that. Number four, call me, 617-906-6638. Keep this Badlands movie conversation going. Number five, I get a split, I get another podcast to record, and I get to return some videotapes. So, right now, a second dose of bliss for yours truly. In honor of this week's Badlands episode, me reading you the script from Blue Velvet. Knocking is heard louder at the door. Jeffrey picks up all his clothes and gets in the closet. He's naked and hiding in the closet. Dorothy closes her robe and glides to the front door. Jeffrey sees Frank come in. Frank is medium height and stocky with a burr haircut. He is wearing a tight blue t-shirt and an old black sports jacket. He's got on a pair of blue jeans and boots. He has a raw, mean sexuality, a bomb about to go off presence. He comes into the room slowly, always looking at Dorothy. He sits on the couch. Dorothy. Hello, baby. Frank. Quit talking and start mixing. Cut it.